For a little while, I want us to consider renewing our minds and how to do that. And the reason I want to address this is because the, the thinking processes and patterns of the world are contrary to the patterns of thought in the kingdom of God. And when you become a Christian, there are a lot of things we have to unlearn in order to become a fruitful Christian by how we think. Now you'll notice in verse number two again, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Father, help us as we look into this particular text, O oh God. When we were sinners and didn't know God, we lived our lives according to how we thought we should live. And if somebody would have even told us that we were under the dominion and the influence of the prince and the power of the air, or somebody would have even implied to us that we were living in darkness, we probably would have laughed and said to them, it's not true. But that is exactly what the Bible teaches about a person who's living apart from God. If we're in Christ, we're blessed and the light is turned on. If we're outside of God, then the scripture makes it very plain. This curse is a curse that's upon us and we're far away from God. We're estranged from God. We don't have the relationship with him that we should have. Therefore, the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to speak to your heart and to speak to mine. And the Holy Spirit is constantly calling us to Christ. So he gives us the ability to respond to that. We hear the gospel. He touches our ear to understand what we're hearing. And then the ability is there to repent. Once we repent of our sins, we're born again and we come into the kingdom of God. And now that we're in the kingdom of God, we have to learn an entirely different lifestyle. I can assure you that over in England, the queen's children and grandchildren do not think like the average ordinary citizen of Great Britain. By that, because they were raised in a monarchy and raised in a system of wealth and hereditary power, they were taught from an early age, you're a prince, you're a king and queen's kid, here is how you conduct yourself. They're told not to even laugh a certain way. They're told they have to dress a certain way, that everything that they do publicly is a reflection of the royal family. And they certainly can't talk in any kind of way. If you listen to people that are part of the royal family, you, you'll notice they speak the Queen's English fairly well. And their diction is pretty good. They don't do a whole lot of slang and colloquialisms in their interviews and things like that. Because it's all about understanding who they are in the royal family. 
Well, of course, we come out of sin, we come into righteousness and into the kingdom of God, and then the Lord has to begin to work to try to reorient us. Because before we became a Christian, we might have used language that was terrible and cussed and cussed people out and called people names. And, and we might have been very derogatory and demeaning in our speech, but once God got hold to our heart and he squeezed that heart and genuinely changed that heart, then now the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? It speaks. So what is inside of us ultimately will come out of us. This is why we have to renew our minds. If we change how we think, we can write the words of God on the tables of our heart by meditating on the scripture. No scripture go in, no scripture will come out. But if you put the word of God in your mind here and you allow that word of God to settle in your mind, then eventually that word of God is going to settle in your heart. And Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm going away, but he said, I'm leaving my peace with you. And he said, not the peace that the world gives, but he said, I'll leave my peace with you. Well, he's the Prince of Peace. He comes into your life and he brings with him all the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, happiness. Well, then why then do people have nervous breakdowns? Why is it that depression comes to us in such a great measure and the devil inflicts harm on us? I'm telling you, it's because of how we think. Your emotions are directly tied to your thoughts. If you can change your mind, very often you'll change how you feel. And the reason I know that is because if you sit there right now and you begin to think about those people in your life that have hurt you, harmed you, angered you, there's just a little bit of time before you become angry and upset. And you can go in your mind from zero to 100 miles per hour in anger in less than a split second. But at the same time, is while you're angry and upset and your blood pressure is high and those veins are popping out of your neck, you can also change your mind because your mind is under your influence and under your authority and the devil can't make you think anything. Now the old proverb says that you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest where? Right. So you have some authority in this. And notice what it says in verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world. How does the world train people? I can tell you exactly how the world trains people. The world teaches people to believe you are powerless and nothing's your fault and you're not responsible for any of your behavior. And if anything is going wrong in your life, someone else is to blame. That's what, that's what the world says. And the world says there's no way to fix it, so here's what we'll do. Since, since our children, 13, 14, 15, are excessively sorrowful, we've got an answer for them. We'll give them a pill. And then we'll give them another pill. And then we'll give them another pill. And pretty soon, the, the, the children are taking pills like an 80-year-old that may be having physical problems. And, and they get hooked on believing that they have to have that to live. 
Now, I want you to understand that the, the world is operating in a system that is totally contrary to the plans of God. Now, nobody in here is opposed to medicine. We've got enough people in this church and other churches connected with medical facilities for you to know we don't, we're not opposed to doctors, certainly not to nurses. And as many times I've been to the doctor and been admitted to the hospital, anybody here who knows me knows that that would never be the case in what I'm teaching. But I am telling you this, that when it comes to your happiness, your sorrow, your depression, and your joy, you have something to do with this. And you've got to make a choice that you're going to bring your thoughts into captivity. And you're not going to let your thoughts just roam here and there and back and forth. Now we can show you this from scripture. And I think maybe it would be a good time to do that. If you turn over to Corinthians, then we'll let you see this for yourself. Over in 2 Corinthians, and let's look at what it says over in chapter number 10. Chapter number 10. And it says these words in verse number 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now what this means in verse 5 is very simply this. You have the ability to resist the adversary who's trying to bring thoughts to you that are contrary to the rule and the reign of God. And you need to know what God's knowledge says. Your mind is supposed to be a stronghold. It's supposed to be a fortress for God. Your mind is supposed to think the thoughts of God. Philippians 4 says it this way. Think on things that are holy. Things that are pure. Things that are just. Things that are virtuous. If you're going to sit there and think about everybody that has made you mad and every grudge that you hold against people, you're going to be a mean, embittered person and never have a happy day in your life. But if you choose to forgive and then take those same moments and think about the word of God, you're going to find that you're going to be empowered by God to do things and do business for the king. Now again, it says in verse number five, casting down imaginations. And anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If I run into a thought that is contrary to what the Bible teaches, I rebuke it. And I tell it it's not going to have any place in my head. So the Bible says, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. If God wants you to have life, he doesn't want you to have death. So you have to stand against a spirit of death. You have to stand against death so that you can hold on to what you have. If the Bible says in Malachi, God hates divorce, then divorce is not a word that's coming out of my mouth. I've got to resist it. Does that make sense? You have to cast down reasonings that exalt themselves. So the devil is looking for a way to take his system of thinking and to exalt it in your eyes. So if you watch television or listen to radio, you'll find that a lot of that will suddenly get into your thinking if you're not paying attention. 
There'll be somebody on some talk show, somebody sitting on some panel, and they'll be laughing at something godly. If you go to the coffee shop and sit with the guys, or go to the beauty shop and sit with the gals, there'll be somebody sitting around there talking about this, that, or the other, and they'll have reasonings and imaginations that are contrary to the knowledge of God. And if you're not careful, you accept their reasoning. I mean, after all, you know them. They may be your friends. You may have, have seen that they become successful in business or in some other area of life. And pretty soon, rather than casting down those imaginations, you're building an idol to it. You're building an idol to something that's ungodly, something that is unscriptural. The Bible says, here, cast it down. And that's something you can do. Now, one county over where we have one of our other churches, I'm telling you, since we've been up there, it hadn't been a six or nine month period that there hadn't been a suicide. And we went up there just this past week, and they were telling me about another one, a little 13-year-old girl in a little town of about 80 people, another suicide. And I'm wondering, why in the world do we have 12 and 13-year-olds that are, that are taking their life. Listen to me, inside this body and inside your body, you have to make a decision that you're going to resist the devil because James says if you resist him, he'll flee. If you resist him enough, eventually he'll stop coming around with that thought. He will. If I came to your house and knocked on your door and you didn't answer the door, wouldn't you be sending me a signal that you didn't want me around? And, and, if, and if you didn't come to the door two or three times and, and then I kept coming back, I mean, you'd be on the inside saying, you think pastor would get it by now. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'd keep knocking on the door. And then if, if, if you don't come, then what am I going to do? I'm going to walk around, look, see if the car is there. If I don't see the car outside, I'm going to walk around to the garage door window. I'm going to look in the garage door window. I'm going to look, see if Todd's truck is there. And if the truck is there, then what do we do? We go back and we knock on the window. And so if we, if we, if we hear movement on the inside, we know somebody's there. What do you do then? Camp out on the grass. <laughs> they got to come out eventually. And, and, and then the, the point is simple. I'm being persistent because if I'm going to get somebody's attention, I've got to be there. That's exactly what the devil does. If you resist him once, he comes back again. You resist him twice, he comes back again. You resist him 20 times, he keeps coming back. But eventually, he'll stop coming. On that issue, he'll stop coming. And you've got to fight him, and you've got to resist him. And verse 5 makes it very plain. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Yeah. Resist the devil and he'll flee. So many, many, many years ago, got a call from Lebanon, Kansas. Four o'clock in the morning. Pastor, could you come down here? My son is sitting in the back room. He's got a gun and he's about to kill himself. So I said, Tiffany, you stay here. I'm headed down there to Lebanon. So I get in that car, I make that drive down there, get to that house, walk into the house, not a light on anywhere. I mean, knocked on that door, lady let me in, I walked in, it's like a little animal zoo in there, just birds and every kind of pets you can think of. I walked through there and said, well, where is he at? He, she said, he's around in there in the back room. So I walked into the back room, and there he was. I could see him through the light of that moon. He's sitting there by that window. He's got a pistol in his hand, and he's about to kill himself, he said. 
So I, I don't advise you to do this, but, but I walked over there to where he was, and he was sitting there, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, give me that gun, just like that, and snatched it out of his hand. said, if you're going to kill yourself, you'd have did it long before I got here. In the name of Jesus, come out of him right now. It's a spirit of death trying to take his life. And if you don't resist the devil, the devil will fight you every day. You've got to pay attention to what the adversary is attempting to do. And you've got to resist him by the blood of Jesus. You've got to resist him by the word of God and stand against him no matter what is taking place. And you've got to do that with your mouth. The Bible says that out of the tongue comes life or death. Now you can take a little kid and you can speak words of life into a little kid and tell them you're going to be great in the name of Jesus and you're going to serve God. You can tell them that even when they're not born again and don't know about God. And you can say you're going to walk with God and your steps are going to be on the paths of righteousness and that's how we should talk to them. Or you can be like some parents who just talk to their kids and say you're not going to be nothing. Your dad wasn't nothing. Your grandma wasn't nothing. And you're not going to amount to much either. And if you choose to say that, then remember you have what you say. And words are seeds. And you will get the kind of harvest that you speak of. If all you do around the house is speak about, well, I'll leave you if you don't act right. You'll get a harvest of divorce. Or you can choose with your words to plant seeds of love and you'll get love out of it. Yeah. Your words are seeds. If anybody in here has gardens, and most of you have garden before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You put it down. Whatever you put down, that's what's coming up. You plant corn. You're not getting apple trees. You're getting exactly what you have planted, and you have to use your words to sow different kinds of seeds. You do that. You'll get a harvest that will be a blessing to a lot of people. Now come back over here to Romans 12 now. And listen to it. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, your first transformation took place when you became a Christian. You stepped out of sin into the kingdom of God. I understand transformation. We weren't raised in church. My mother and father weren't Christians when I was a baby. My mother and father weren't Christians when I was a toddler. My mother and father weren't Christians when I was an adolescent. I became the first Christian in our immediate family. My dad could outcuss a Marine or a sailor, and it was, it was as mean as any man ever could be, and my mom could outcuss my dad. So, I mean, they knew how to use heated, fiery language and could cuss you to the point where you started crying because of the words they used talking to you. But one day, in a church... I heard the gospel as a kid. Amen. And because I heard the gospel, I went home to my bedroom and went back to the passages that pastor preached on and decided from the gospel of John, I'm serving God. Well, that just kind of threw the whole house in turmoil because, as I said, we weren't Christian. 
It's not like they didn't know what a church were. Both my parents were married in a church. My grandpops, he was a Baptist preacher for over 80 years, but hadn't been drugged to church over and over and over and over again. My dad wasn't interested in going to no church. He didn't care nothing about religion. He thought all of them were a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you know, if you are around people and you think they're hypocrites, then you have a tendency to believe everybody is what you are. See? My dad told me this one time. He said, a thief can't ever believe there's any honest people on the planet. Because he's stealing from everybody. He's constantly thinking everybody else is stealing. And a hypocrite will always believe everybody else is a hypocrite. And that's what they will say. Oh, that church is filled with hypocrites. I'm not going to deal with any of them church people because they, they think they're better than this. Oh, they don't think they're better than you. You think you're better than them. And your self-righteousness is what has led you into a place where you've tried to exalt yourself on your own. But only when you humble yourself and recognize that you are nothing without God will you ever get anywhere in life. Because pride is destructive. So the scripture is clear. Be transformed. It changed my life. I was a mean-spirited kid. I was just like my dad. I held grudges. Even after I became a preacher, I found out as a teenager I still had a grudge against my dad. I was sitting up in the pulpit in Japan one time when I was 18 years old getting ready to preach to all of these people about the love of God. And as I was sitting up there, God started dealing with my heart saying, you're going to get up here and try to talk to these people about what it means to walk in love and forgiveness. And you got all this hostility in your heart towards your dad. And I sat in that pulpit and cried before I ever got up to preach. And I give you my word, as I was sitting in the pulpit weeping and crying, them people out there in the pews were probably thinking, oh my goodness, the Lord is dealing with Brother Darrell. It's just going to be such a wonderful message. The Spirit of God is moving. I felt like a heathen up there. A heathen. But by the time I got up to teach, I was free. I was free. I was free. It doesn't take God long if we will yield to the wooings of the Holy Spirit and submit to him when he's trying to work something out of our life. Yeah, when he's trying to work it out because he can produce the joy. And he says, by the renewing of your mind, change how you think. Now, pastor, how do I do that? Well, look at the pattern of your life and start asking some, some basic questions. How much word do you read every day and every week? Ask yourself that. And then ask yourself, how much television do I watch every day and every week? And what do I watch and listen to on the radio? Because whether you believe it or not, you're being influenced by somebody. Now, you can choose to be influenced by the people of Scripture, or you can choose to be influenced by this world. That world is constantly talking and never saying anything that is in accordance with the Word of God. And you don't have to take my word for it. All you got to do is think about what it is that you like to watch. So much of it's contrary to the kingdom of God. But here's what the Bible says. If I'm going to be renewed in my mind, I've got to wash my mind, as Paul said in Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians. I've got to wash my mind, and the only way to wash my mind, I've got to change what I'm putting in it. It's just like your, your, your clothes. 
You take a bath, most people, unless they're little people like kids, most people don't take a bath and want to put back on the same dirty clothes. If I went out and played football at the power plant with the boys when I was a kid, I'd come in and scrub up, get all clean, and I'd want to put the same jeans right back on and go back out and do it all over again. And my mother said, well, no, that's, that's, not, that's not right. You don't need to do that. But if we're going to change our behavior, there's got to be a change in our thinking. So I have to start trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing? What am I saying? How am I thinking that is contrary to truth? Now, we had a little girl here not too long ago down at one of the other churches. And so we're down at the front row. She came down for prayer. And I said, what are we praying for? And she, she told me these words. She said, Pastor, and then she had all this big whole thing, all this medicine she was on. And I knew she was dealing with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, that's exactly what it was because that was her medical diagnosis. So I already knew what she needed prayer for. So I'm talking to her and I said, now look, first things first, we've got to help you get your mind under control. Here's what she said. I can't control my mind. I said, I know you can control your thoughts and your mind. She said, Pastor, I can't. I said, I know you can because you're holding a conversation with me. If we're holding a rational conversation, then you are focused on me. I'm focused on you. And your mind is concentrated on what I'm saying. Now, I know once I stop talking and you turn and walk away, the devil is right back there speaking to you, telling you to cut your wrist because that's exactly what the devil was saying to her. Take your life. Take your life. So I told her we can pray. But I said even after we pray, the difference is you've got to go home and do this on your own because I don't live with you. You've got to be able to stand your ground and take authority on your own. And Jesus will bring you the deliverance that you need. So sure enough, we took time to teach that to her and teach that to her and pray for her. And she's still with us. And here, I mean, she'd be weeping, crying, thinking her life was going to be over. But somebody has to stand their ground and believe what the word of God says. That's how it has to be. And if you don't do that, the devil takes advantage of you. Again, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the renewing of your mind. This is where it starts right here. If I can think the thoughts of God, then I'll be able to do the works of God. God can make you a deliverer if you choose to think the thoughts of God. Now let me take you to Philippians quickly. Philippians chapter 4. I already had mentioned these verses, but I just want to say a few things about them right now. Philippians 4 verse number 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Shall keep your hearts and minds. The peace of God is able to stabilize your thinking, stabilize your heart so you do not have to have a troubled life and a troubled existence. You do not have to hate to see every sunrise and long for every sunset so you can go to sleep. That is not a good existence to have. But God's plan for you. 
It's for you to understand, and whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, these things think on them. If you've got people in your life that love to gossip and slander, get them out of your life. Don't answer the telephone. You say, how fast should I cut them off? Faster than it took me to make that statement. Don't even waste your time with people that aren't going to contribute to your godliness unless you have a connection with them at work or unless your connection with them, you're trying to witness to them. But I wouldn't waste my time with somebody if I was having marital problems with Tiff and then I went to see some guys and they were sitting around saying, you know what, man, if it was me, I wouldn't put up with that for one minute at all. I'd kick her to the curb and leave her on the outside. You got to be kidding if you think I'm going to feed my mind with that and let a bunch of fools who can't keep a good marriage try to blow up mine so I won't have one. And then we'll all be depressed sitting around a coffee shop talking about how, how terrible ladies are. Absolutely not. That's not the plan of God. Bring every thought captive and think on things that are true. What's true? She's a lovely woman. She's got a good heart. She loves Jesus Christ more than she loves me. I'm going to think about that. That's what's important, you see. Amen. Well, notice in verse 8, it says, whatsoever is just. Talking about righteous. Yeah. What's pure. Pure, holy. D do you realize that in these last days... One of the biggest impediments to a victorious Christian life for young men and women in the church is what comes on that telephone and across that computer in the way of porn. You realize that? That in just about every school in the United States of America, they got access to that garbage and there's hardly anything that the library director can do to stop it. And if they try to stop it, there are going to be lawsuits all over the place because there's a culture in this world that wants our little ones exposed to the most perverse aspects of physical intercourse. Even when we know they're not only not, not ready for it, they don't even need to know about that kind of stuff right now. Don't even need to be thinking those kinds of thoughts. But the culture of the world wants them thinking those thoughts right now. Years ago in this community right here, I got a phone call. said, Pastor, could you come up here and, and, and talk to some folks? I said, okay, what's, what's going on? said, we found in the, the locker a, a, a young lady who had a list in her locker there of all the boys in school she didn't slept with. Can you imagine? And I said, you want me to talk to her? I said, you, you do know that... I'm going to talk to her as a pastor. We know that's why we called you. So I went right up there and I dealt with it. Yeah, right, right. And, and I dealt with it and explained to the young lady what a sin that is. I was called to another school one time. They said, Pastor, could you come up here? I said, what's going on? So we can't have our guidance counselor talk to the person or we'll end up in all kind of a lawsuit. But we got somebody here confused over their identity. So we'll give you a room in the back of the school if you'll just come spend some time. I went up, spent some time. I'm telling you, folks, we have a world out here that has no idea 
how to handle young people, how to handle the things of God. And what's even worse, we got adults that don't know the difference between right and wrong. You see, don't know the difference. So here we are, and I'm trying to help people collect their thoughts so that they'll understand how to walk in victory and live a life that is prosperous and fruitful as a Christian because what a child needs is a pastor that believes the word of God so that when they come out and hear the word of God, they'll know they're hearing from God. And they need a mom and dad that stands steadfast for the truth. Because in this day and age, right now, we're watching people just fall by the wayside. Do you know why a church like ours has, has always continued to thrive, even when a whole lot of other people may not have agreed with what uh, I say or teach or what we believe, and, and other churches have struggled trying to pay their bills and all that kind of stuff, is because we, we hold fast to the book, preach the old-fashioned gospel message, and there will always be a remnant of people that want to hear the truth of God's word. Always. There always will be. And if, if everything else turns and goes in the opposite direction, every time we come out here, I'm preaching a book because I'm trying to wash people's minds. I know that all week long, the devil's fighting you. He's attacking. He's coming from every direction. He's telling you you're defeated. He's telling you you're worthless. He's telling you your life is meaningless. He's telling you you're not doing anything worth living for. And here we come along, we preach a gospel to tell you Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. And you need to keep pressing on and walking on with God. Yeah. In a place like that, there'll always be people that, that'll come and want to hear what the gospel is. I'm not going to sit at home in a lazy boy chair and have the people on the view try to tell me how I should be a good citizen or how I should live my life. And I'm not going to have some politician try and explain to me what it means to be a conservative or what it means to be a Christian. I'm going right back to the book. I don't care if they're Democrat. I don't care if they're Republican. All the churches that, that, that we have, I've had every kind of stripe of political, a political stripe you can think of. At one time, at one church over here, I had the person who was the chairman of the Democratic Party sitting there listening to me teach week after week. Another church, I had a person who was the chairman of the Republican Party sitting there listening to me teach week after week. My policy has always been the same in teaching the Bible. If I say something bad about a Democrat, I'll say something bad about a Republican. If I say something good about a Democrat, I'll say something good about a Republican. It's getting harder to say anything good about anybody. Politics. I'm serious. This thing is corrupt from the head all the way down to the bottom in the local systems very often. So I've just determined I'm going to preach the book without fear or compromise. Amen. Not be intimidated by what anybody's affiliation is, but to understand if we proclaim the word of God, the word is what changes our thinking. Yes. So it's true then. We should hold fast to what we believe. Let me give you one more verse. Turn to Ephesians 4, and I want you to see in Ephesians 4, verse number 21. It says, if so be that you have heard him, 
talking about our Lord, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the old, the former conversation. So my old lifestyle, my old way of talking, get rid of it. Now that I'm a Christian, get, get rid of it. Just you start over and you start walking with God. Now, now as, a, as, a, as a kid, as I said, my folks didn't use good language. When my mother finally did become a Christian in my later teens, her conversation changed because she probably lost 65% of her vocabulary <laughs> just by becoming a Christian. And believe me when I tell you, the, the first couple of years, because she lost so many words, she was still stumbling and struggling trying to find new words, and sometimes them old ones would come out. And I have to remind her, that's not how a good Baptist lady talks. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't quite sanctified, so she cussed at me again and said, now you don't tell me anything. Well... If, if, if we understand that we put off that former conversation, that old man, we see that the nature of that old man is that it's corrupt and that lifestyle is deceitful. The things that we once enjoyed, they seem to produce pleasure in our life. We thought we were pleased, but we really weren't. And the reason I know that because some people have a lot of hobbies that they're involved with. They do their hobbies and they're still unhappy. If you have a lot of hobbies and you do the hobbies and you're still not happy doing the hobbies, that's a deceitful lust. That's what that is. So you say, well, what do I do then to find my real joy? Well, if you're a Christian and you're truly born again, you've got to talk to God and say, Father, you help me to understand your presence, your power, your anointing, your blessing, so that I can find my fulfillment in you. Once you can find your fulfillment in God, everything else will fall in line. And the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. At his presence is uh, pleasures, you know, for forevermore. At his right hand, I should say. Now look, I used to box. I like boxing. I, I boxed a lot as a kid. Pops helped coach me. I boxed in a lot of tournaments, fought in a lot of fights in uh, bars and stuff like that. They'd set up the, the uh, ring right there in the bar and then me and other people from different gyms would get together. People had to pay money to come in and then we'd do our three round fights and then we'd have our tournaments silver glove tournaments, junior Olympic tournaments. I participated in all of that. I loved sports. I shot ball in junior high, shot ball in high school. My brothers wrestled in all of that. When I became a Christian, I still loved sports. That, didn't, that attitude didn't change. The difference now, though, was that I didn't want to do anything that was going to be a bad reflection on Jesus Christ. So here I was boxing, and the very last fight I ever had was in the Junior Olympics. Here we were in the medal round, and first round, I had this guy's mouth bleeding, his left eye was closed, and all I was doing was sticking him with a jab. And my dad was ringside, and all my friends from high school were up there. They were watching me put it on this boy. 
But I sat down ringside after that first round. I was under such conviction. What kind of a Christian are you out here bloody in a young boy's mouth and you're going to try to win this fight and knock him out calling yourself a lover of Jesus? That's the kind of conviction I was under. And I'll never forget I came out there that second round. I was just totally disoriented because I, I was so under conviction. I was still hitting this guy. But, you know, I was under so much conviction thinking about God. I wasn't even really paying attention to the fight anymore, so he caught me with overhand right. I went down. I could have jumped back up. I didn't even get up at all. I just laid there. I just laid there. They took me out of the ring, took me to the hospital, had to do that whole little CAT scan that they got to do for kids because of all that. But then afterwards, my dad was in there. He said, he said, what in the world happened to you in that ring? I had taken my gloves off by then. I said, Dad, I'm never getting in the ring again. Never again. And never did. Never even went to the gym. Haven't even gone into a gym to visit any young people to watch them training. When I went to the Marine Corps, my roommate for three months was Kenny Norton's son. At the time he was my roommate, Kenny Norton's older brother was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. And here Norton Jr. was trying to get started in boxing because his dad was a popular Marine boxer and had won all kinds of fights and medals. So he's telling me, he said, come on, sudden, come down to the gym with me and work with me a little bit. I, gotta, I wanna try to start boxing like my dad. I said, I'm not going anywhere near a gym because I know how much I used to love it, and I know how much I enjoyed it. So you've got to understand that just because you have a hobby and something that you, you love and enjoy, if God comes into your heart and into your life, then sometimes you just got to lay something aside and just say, I'm not going to do that. Even if it's something that you enjoy and love. I'm not saying I thought it was, it, it's a sin for anybody to be involved with a boxing match. I'm just saying the way God was dealing with me, it was a sin for me to be involved with it. That's what I'm saying. And I've seen the same with people who've done football, basketball. I got a young man used to play down there for Hayes. Fort Hayes played baseball. I asked him why he stopped. He said, Pastor, I found out after I became a Christian, it was all pride in my part. I just walked away from it and never picked up a bat and a glove again. That's what he said. I've got a good pastor friend. He loved to fly fish. He'd go out into the river every Sunday. He went out and he'd fly fish after the service right up until about 5 o'clock to come back home and get ready for the evening service. He said, God, start dealing with his heart, telling him, no, give that time to me. Spend that time with me. He wanted to go out and fish. It was peaceful, beautiful, sunny, that light glistening off of that water. He said he didn't want to hear what God had to say he wanted to be out there fishing, but he said he had them waders on one day and messed around, was going out there in the middle, stumbled, said he went down too far, them waders filled up with water, he said there was nobody around him, said he liked to drown, said he was taking in all of this water, but somehow he was able to get back to the shore, and he said as he was coughing and everything, trying to get his breath, and he was laying in, his heart was beating so fast, you know, he said, basically the Lord said to him, do I have your attention now? And he's never gone back fly fishing on a Sunday afternoon again. He still goes occasionally, but he doesn't go religiously like he used to. Folks, when we start walking with God, God has to change our mind. 
about a lot of things. He has to do it because if he can't do it, it won't ever be changed. And you've got to be honest enough to do inventory in your life to put first things first and to make certain things the priority of your life. Because sometimes the things we think are the priority really are not that important after all in the greater scheme of things. The final thing I'll say is that verse 23 is clear when it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're capable of doing it. You're able to do it. If you don't do it, it will not get done. It will not get done. But if you make the choice, it will be done. Change how you think by changing what you put in there. Find you some good teaching CDs or messages. Download them to your memory stick. Find some podcasts or something. Fill your mind with that. Put your little earpiece on while you're working or doing whatever you're doing. Still got word that's going in. When you're in that car and you're driving, you, you don't have to listen to that Patriot channel and have your blood pressure going up because you're getting mad at all the politicians. Put some word on something that's going to calm your nerves and get you ready. When you get ready for your family gatherings for the holidays as we get closer to that, don't even let somebody turn the news on. Put some Christian music on in the background. If they're going to be irritated, let them be irritated by God. But don't have all that other stuff on there that's going to destroy what could very well be a decent opportunity for people to get together. And let God have his way. And you'll find that's where the blessing of the Lord is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.